Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, today is September 18th, 2010, for all Jews who uh, have been celebrating uh, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, um, Happy Feast Day. And for those who will be celebrating it uh, based on the uh, new moon calendar that the Israeli Moon Society has uh, had, that has great influence, the Israeli Moon Society has um, greatly influenced the creation of the uh, new moon calendar, the calendar that uh, the Jews and, and the nation of Israel follow before um, the calculated calendar. That's another Bible study in itself. Um, when uh, Sunday sunset begins, uh, we will be uh, celebrating the uh, Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur based on the new moon calendar. So anyway, um, the topic of this Bible study is what is pure religion? I really believe that many people are confused about what religion is, um, you have organizations that focus too much on prophecy, which is really future history. And the reason why we have future history uh, in reference to the judgments of God is because a lot of us don't obey God, so God has to punish us. And a lot of the future history in the Bible is all about God punishing mankind because they don't want to obey him. So prophecy has something to do with obeying the laws of God or the, the teachings of God, the regulations. So let's turn to James chapter 1, verse 27 to, to understand what pure religion is, ladies and gentlemen, and what God wants us to really be doing. Uh, we shouldn't be spending a lot of time trying to figure out when Christ is going to come back. Uh, he told us to watch for a reason because we're not going to know exactly when he's going to come back. Uh, you can estimate it, as I explained last week in my prior Bible study, please uh, review that Bible study to get an idea of when he'll be coming back, but God does not want us to figure it out exactly. All right, James, chapter 1, verse 27. It's a key scripture. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. So what is pure religion? What is what is what does religion stand for anyway? Well, let's look up that word in original Greek and find out what religion means. Because many people don't understand what religion is. Religion is ceremonial observance, worshiping. So that's what religion is. It means to worship God. Pious and worshiping. So religion is a form of worship. And it states here that pure worship and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. So the first thing that, he's, that God states to prove that you do worship him is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. In other words, to visit people who need help. That's what pure worship is all about, observance. 
and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And that simply means, ladies and gentlemen, obeying the commandments of God. That's how you keep yourself clean. That's how you keep yourself unspotted from the world. Uh, you keep yourself spotted and in the world by disobeying God. So that is the definition of pure worship, ladies and gentlemen. That's what religion means. It means uh, to worship, to be pious. That's what it means. So this is the Bible definition of worship or religion. But we know in the world today, and particularly in this country, religion is about a minister getting up, looking cute, telling you about certain things and asking you for money. Well, <laughs> I just read to you the definition of pure religion, or let's look up that word pure in original Greek, clean religion. And you can actually say true religion because dirty religion would be false, right? So we're talking about true worship, true worship, true acknowledgement of God involves helping people and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. So, again, I'm just emphasizing this scripture to help you understand that God has revealed to all of us what we should be doing. What we should be doing. And, you know, faith have works. And we're going to continue on with this book because it explains basically what we need to be doing. And it has, actually has a prophecy in James chapter 5 that tells you what we're experiencing now in the end times. But anyway, uh, James chapter 2. I know Christianity teaches all you have to have is faith, 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 faith. Well, let's look at an example of how we can misunderstand the message of the Bible. In verse 14 of James chapter 2, it states this, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man says he has faith or belief? I believe in God. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Right. You have faith. Faith is trust. It's one of the basic doctrines of God found in Hebrews chapter 6. And have not works. Now that word works in the original Greek is ergon. And it means an occupation. To do labor. To do deeds. An act. So God is stating here in James chapter 2 verse 14. What good is it if you, have, if you believe in God and you don't have any actions to prove it? So it says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has belief or trust in God and have not actions or an occupation or labor? Can belief save him? Can just believing save unless you have actions to back up your belief? Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. It's similar to saying, I can sing. Then someone said, well, prove it. And you get up there and sing. Just like... Um, I'm sure many of you look at American Idol. I don't look at it anymore because it's just uh, it's just too worldly. And a lot of those folks, they believe that they can actually sing. They believe they can actually sing. So, well, you know, I can sing. I'm this, I'm that. And a lot of them get up there and they can't sing. So that's because you say and believe something doesn't mean that it's true. I'm just using that American Idol example to help you understand this scripture. You can say that you believe God all you want. I believe, I believe, I believe. But if you don't have any works, if you don't have any proof to back it up, you don't believe. And James 2 verse 15 gives you an example of pure religion or true worship of God. It involves actions. Verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. So remember the Bible study I did last week. If you have food, or the prior, prior to the last week, if you have food and clothes, you should be content. That's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But this is an example of a person that doesn't have any clothes or food. All right? In James 2 verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked, and that word naked means naked, uh, nude, and destitute of daily food. Destitute of daily food. As I'm going to talk about today, um, there's 
44 million people, as I'm speaking right now in this filthy rich country, that do not have daily food. They're poor. It's pitiful. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves collectively as a nation to allow that to happen. This is the richest country in the world, and we have, according to the Census Bureau report, and I'm going to read that to you from the Chicago Tribune, what they said about it, that there's 44 million people in this country that are in this condition. Either they don't have any clothes or they're destitute of daily food. They are poor. James 2, verse 15, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, okay, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled. There's too much of that going on, not only in this country, but worldwide. Um, people saying, depart in peace, be warm and filled, like that's supposed to, to help solve the problem, is to wish someone well when they need help and you can help them. How dare you say something like that? But it's a lot of people today that have that kind of attitude. They, they take out of context what Christ said, the poor will be uh, among you. The poor will always be there for you to say, hey, well, we don't have to take care of the poor. He didn't say that. He said that, if you read that, in the context of that scripture, he's saying that you'll have your opportunity to help the poor, but he he stated in there that he would not always be with them. So that's the reason why he corrected them and said it was okay for the woman to put expensive oil on his feet and to wipe them with her hair because she was totally worshiping him and honoring him as she should have. So again, she was practicing faith by works or trust by action instead of just she proved that she believed the Lord by doing what she did. So anyway, James 2 verse 16, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful for the body. What does it profit? Just because you tell somebody wished them well doesn't mean they're being well. And I've experienced that many times in my life. It's, it's really an empty, it, it makes you feel bad especially when you know that person can help you. James 2, verse 17, Even so, faith or trust, if it has not works, is dead. Okay, so if right now you believe God, you believe the Bible, you believe in Jesus Christ being the Messiah, etc., but if you don't have any actions, if you're not thinking about other people other than yourself, if you're not uh, concerned about the poor, if you're not reading books, about how to help the poor, why people are poor. Uh, if all you're concerned about is yourself and your flesh, which is your immediate family, then God says that your trust in him is dead because it's not backed up with any action or works. And I have to tell you this as kind as I can. And you have to repent of that because life is not about you, yourself, and I. It's about everyone else, including you, and how you can help your neighbor. Just like I was looking at the CNN today, and they're they're having a segment now on poverty, like this is something that has just a recent development. This has been an, an issue for many years in this country, but it's getting so bad now that they can't hide it anymore from the American public as far as the poverty situation. And the poverty situation is, is 44 million people, or 43.6 million people, and on CNN, they were asking this one individual, well, what, what can we do to help? Well, they have plenty of people in our communities that are poor, that need help. Um, you know, right now I give like $9 a month to this one organization. I think it's, uh, yeah, Feed the Children. And I give $9 a month to help children in, 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 um, in the poor countries, uh, in Sudan and, and, and uh, other poor countries uh, in Africa and worldwide. And any working American, I think approximately is about 180, or 100, between 106, 180 million Americans that are working full time in this country or working, is to me is no excuse whatsoever that those Americans can't afford anywhere from nine dollars to twenty dollars a month to help people that they know that are poor. If everyone in this country gave twenty, twenty dollars a month out of the 180, that's a good, that's that's about at least twenty million dollars. $20 billion that can be used to help eliminate poverty. 
So it's really no excuse, ladies and gentlemen. Um, former uh, presidential candidate uh, James Edwards stated that, or John Edwards stated that uh, that's what we would need every um, year to eliminate poverty in this country, and we could do it. I mean, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett can do it, but I don't think it's fair to, for them to just do it. It should be a combination of all billionaires contributing at least $20 billion a year to solve this problem. It can be solved. We have to, be, we have to stop being stingy. That's the issue. And people have to stop thinking about themselves and what they want and what they need. That's the problem. In James 2, verse 18, yes, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works, or I have trust, and I have actions. Show me your trust without thy actions, and I will show thee my trust by my actions. And I'm saying the trust with faith because Hebraically and, and, and biblically that's a more accurate translation of the word faith. And then works, actions is a better word for that. So, in verse 19 of James, it says, You believe that there is one God, and you do well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. So, it's telling you that demons believe in God, but they don't have any works to show that they fervently and positively believe in God. They, in a negative sense, believe in God because they know they're going to get punished. But they don't believe in God because they want to obey Him. And many people have that type of belief as well. Verse 20, But will thou know, or men, or vain man, that faith without works is dead? So again, he's telling you. Uh, James is telling you, which is the literal brother of Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, that you can't have trust without action. If you do, it's dead. And you also can't believe in God like the demons do just because uh, you're going to get you're going to get it. You're going to get punished. God doesn't want that type of belief. He wants you to believe in him because you want to do it, that you want to believe him. Sure, he'll use spankings and, and, and fear a little bit, but eventually you should grow into a point where you don't tremble when you believe God. It, it should get to a point where you, you believe him because you want to believe him. And that's, that's a higher plane. But it starts out with the spankings and so forth, but eventually it should grow. What I mean by spanking is the punishment that God gives each and every one of us when we disobey him. But eventually it should grow into wanting to obey him because it's the right thing to do. And then he talks about the faith of Abraham in verse 21, which is one of the greatest examples of having faith. Uh, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified in verse 21 of James chapter 2 by our works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? So that, that was one of the greatest examples of, of trust by action ever. See thou how trust wrought with his action, and by actions was trust made perfect. Okay? So I, I'm going to stop there, but I think I'm making my point uh, clearly here, that if we say that we trust in God and believe in God, we must obey him. And we have to do that by our actions, what we do. That's what we must do. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. And you should understand now what pure religion is or true worship of God is. It's not trying to figure out the latest prophecies. Uh, it's, it's actually caring about people, trying to figure out ways. What can you do as an individual? And it's different for everyone. With me... I give nine dollars a month. I'm gonna things are getting a little better for me financially now. I should be able to get a lot more than that. Well, not a lot more, but more. <laughs> and then also, uh, I, when I have the time, I'm gonna try to see what I can do to help out in my community. You know, but one of the things that one of the greatest things that I do, I provide these absolutely positively free Bible studies on Blog Talk Radio to reach people who sincerely want to know the truth about God. And it's a tremendous sacrifice that I make to prepare for these Bible studies. Uh, it's not easy. And I do the best I can to preach the truth of God. And I'm not asking for any money. I don't care about that. I really don't. Um, I'm following the example of Paul. And um, I, I, I'm not destitute of daily food and clothes, so I should be satisfied that I am. 
but uh, there's a lot of ministers out here. The purpose of them preaching is to make money. And as I explained in uh, one of the Bible studies that I, uh, let me look at my, uh, what's the title of it? Uh, should, should ministers charge for their literature? Um, I explained that, no, they should not. And uh, we, as Torah teachers or, or ministers, uh, we should be willing to give our teachings for free. So I followed the example of Paul. And I work just like Paul did. Matter of fact, uh, the last couple of verses in the book of Acts reveals to you that Paul rented a house. So if he rented a house, he had to be working. And so this this picture of a minister just depending on the people to pay his expenses and so forth, that is a false image. Uh, the true min image of a minister of God is someone who uh, should be supported just if they don't have any food or clothes. And, of course, shelter, that applies to anybody, including a Torah teacher. If you know somebody that doesn't have a place to live, you should take them in and help them get a job so they can find their own place. And that applies to a Torah teacher as well. So if it's not those three things, food, clothes, and, of course, shelter, if a Torah teacher doesn't have shelter, uh, then you should take them in and help them and, and help them find a job and help them get on their own two feet so they can get their own place, just like Paul did. He rented out a place. And that's, see, the book of Acts, that's a good name, English translation of that, that uh, those writings, because it shows you how you should act, what you should do. Not just trusting in God, but acting on that trust by your actions. And that's why the Bible tells you that the apostles and the prophets are our foundation. Of course, the, the, the top of that foundation is Yeshua. He was an apostle himself, and we should follow their example. First and primarily. And then, of course, anyone that follows their example, we should follow them as well. Okay, so we understand what uh, pure religion is. At least I hope we understand. And let me read this in other different translations. But I, I really want to hone on this. It is very important. In the Bible and basic English translation of the Bible, which was uh, written in 1965, it says, in James 1, verse 27, the religion which is holy and free from evil in the eyes of our God and Father is this, to take care of children who have no fathers and of widows who are in trouble, and to keep oneself untouched by the world. What does the contemporary English version state? In, in James 1, verse 27, it states this, religion that pleases God the Father must be pure and spotless. You must help needy orphans and widows and not let the world make you evil. That's an excellent translation. The complete Jewish Bible translation of this very significant scripture. James 1, verse 27. The religious observance that God the Father considers pure and faultless is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being contaminated by the world. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, making an analogy or metaphor about having dirty clothes. And how do you do that? You obey God. That's how you keep yourself pure. Uh, the Scriptures, 1998 version, which is a Hebraic or Jewish background version of the Bible. James 1, verse 27, clean and undefiled religion before the, the Elohim, which is, a, is the uh, Hebrew translation for God. And Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, using the analogy of having dirty clothes. All right, so those are the, all the various translations that I have. There's, there's a few others, but they all tell you that pure worship or true worship of God, true religion, involves helping people, helping the less fortunate in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, let's get to this very important article about the poverty situation in this country. This is from the Chicago Tribune. The headline to this article, you can find us on the Internet if you want. Number of Americans in poverty jumps to 43.6 million, working age poor at highest level since the 1960s, which is very significant, ladies and gentlemen, very significant indeed, prophetically. I talk about prophecy, but I don't. I talk about it the way God wants us to talk about it, and waking us up to the, the, the social conditions that we're experiencing as I'm speaking. This is written 
from Washington from the Associated Press. It says the ranks of the working age poor climbed to the highest level since the 1960s. As the recession threw millions of people out of work last year, leaving one in seven Americans in poverty. So it's one out of seven Americans that are in poverty right now, which is it's really sad. The overall poverty rate climbed to 14.3% or 43.6 million people. The Census Bureau said Thursday in its annual report on the economic well-being of U.S. households. The report covers 2009, President Barack Obama's first year in office. The poverty rate increased from 13.2% or 39.8 million people in 2008. And it says the share of Americans without health coverage rose from 15.4% to 16.7% or 50.7 million people. And that's sad. That's 50.7 million people that don't have health coverage. And if they get sick, they are closer to dying than somebody who uh, would have health insurance. That's sad. Health care should be free. It really should be uh, in extreme cases. I know that doctors have to make a living and all that, but, but in extreme cases, they should be willing to accept flexible payment arrangements that they can afford. And if they can't pay the loan back, don't worry about it. That That's what people should do. That's the kind of attitude they ought to have. I mean, Christ healed people without, without um, charging. We should be willing to do the same. Mostly because of the loss of employer-provided health insurance during the recession. And, of course, employers, <laughs> what they seem to do is forget that employees, because they have employees, that's the reason why they're successful. And yet, it seems like the first cuts that a lot of companies make is employees, which I think is just ridiculous and, quite frankly, selfish of uh, many companies today. Well, I, I don't know if it's many, but it's a significant amount. Since Congress passed a health overhaul this year to address the rising numbers of uninsured people, but its main provisions will not take effect until 2014. It says, in a statement, President Barack Obama called 2009 a tough year for working families but said it could have been worse. Well, it could have been worse, but it still was bad. So so let me just jot down. I wanted to, to quote something here. Um says the 2009 poverty level was set at 21954 for a family of four. Now, this is before taxes taken out, so it's much less than that, ladies and gentlemen. Based on an official government calculation that includes only cash income before tax deductions, as I just stated, it excludes capital gains or accumulated wealth, such as home ownership, as well as non-cash aid, such as food stamps. An additional 7.8 million people would have been counted above the poverty line if food stamps and tax credits were included as income. Yeah, but that's ridiculous to include that income just to, for statistical purposes. But anyway, this, this is a terrible situation here, and uh, other census findings. It states that among the working age population, ages 18 and 64, poverty rose from 11.7% to 12.9%. That puts it at the highest since 1960s since the 1960s when the government launched a war on poverty that expanded the federal role in social welfare programs from education to health care. A lot of people are against, well, a significant amount anyway, are against what is called entitlement programs, which is the social welfare programs and so forth. And here's, here's a challenge that I have with people that are against those programs. If they didn't have those programs, let's, let's think clearly here, would people be helped? I'm all for the government not helping if people help out, but the problem is that people, a significant amount anyway, don't help the poor. Why do I know that? Because poverty has been consistently at 36, 37 million people in this country for many years. And now people are concerned because, oh, it jumps up to 43.6 million people. And it's going to get worse than that, ladies and gentlemen, if we continue on our path. Now, it states here, other census findings in this article, poverty rose among all race and ethnic groups, but stood at higher levels for blacks and Hispanics. The number of Hispanics in poverty increased from 23.2% to 25.3%, and for blacks, it increased from 24.7% to 25.8%, so it's slightly, just slightly higher than Hispanics. And the number of whites in poverty rose from 86 to 9.4%, so it's not that many whites that are poor in this country when you compare it to the populations of blacks and Hispanics. 
and then child poverty rose from 19% to 20.7%. Interestingly, uh, Asians aren't as poor either uh, in this country as blacks and Hispanics. But we have a tremendous problem here in this country in reference to poverty. And it's okay to help people outside the country, but we have enough problems inside this country <laughs> in regards to poverty, and we really need to get serious about helping people. We really do need to get serious about helping people um, and, and stop thinking about ourselves and what we want and, and so forth, you know. And there's another excellent article that I want to talk about here. It's, it's, it's quite a few that, that can be referenced, but for lack of time here, I have to get to the ones that really, really uh, pinpoint and this is what I like about CNN. They they seem to, to somewhat care about social issues, and, and I really like uh, when they focus on that. And this is uh, from a blog online. Uh, it says, might take five minutes about poverty that Christians should renounce. And I totally agree a trillion percent on what he's saying here. And we got to stop it with all these myths. And the first one, it says, people are poor because they are lazy or stupid. It says, poor people work incredibly hard under harsh conditions, frequently seven days a week, with no welfare programs and no social networks. If they don't work, they don't eat. That's a reality. So we, we need to have a wake-up call in regards to that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he states here, and this uh, article is by, um, what is his name here? Pull it up here. Uh, his name is... What is his name here? Um, Mark Lutz, okay? And Mark Lutz is, he's the son of missionary parents. Mark Lutz is senior vice president of Opportunity International, a nonprofit microfinance organization, and author of the book, Unpoverty, Rich Lessons from the Working Poor. So these are the kind of books that we all need to read and educate ourselves on a problem that I guess is hard to think about because if you're not in that situation, but we need to all be concerned about the poor. We really need to be, if we want to call ourselves Christians. My work in, in microfinance has taken me to some 50 countries. I've watched men making bricks in, in, uh, in the sun from morning to night in exchange for $10. Women hauling five-gallon containers on their heads in each hand every morning to water their garden-sized farm. Children riffling through trash for recyclables to exchange for a meal. Despite their efforts, these hardworking people cannot get off their economic treadmills. They pass their generational poverty into their children and grandchildren. Getting to know them as sisters and brothers, I can vouch that they are anything but lazy or stupid. The only reason for their life of misery and mine of relative luxury is where we were born. And that's true, and we need to realize that. Myth number two, people want handouts. Poor people want handouts. We assume that a hungry person wants us to give them something to eat. Sure, if a mother's children are hungry, she'll gladly accept a free meal, but what that person would much rather have is the opportunity to work and feed her family, and I would vouch for that. that. That's true. Each time she accepts a handout, she exchanges a portion of her dignity. In the Bible, God instructs farmers not to harvest a corner of their crops, but to leave it for the poor. Yes, that's found in Leviticus chapter 23. But God didn't tell them to reap it and give the money to the poor, but to leave it for the poor to pick and eat. They need food, but they also need and want an opportunity to work. Good point. Every day, some 25,000 people die from starvation. Disturbing as that may be, the real tragedy is that for 90% of them, there is no food shortage. They just can't afford to buy available food. The approximate response is not relief, but development, including opportunities to work. So, you know, it's just a very, very tough situation. I think, yeah, it should say there that there is a food shortage. Ninety percent of them, there, there's a food shortage, that they don't have enough food. Uh, myth three, our foremost responsibility is America's poor. The number one objection I hear to our work in the developing world is that we must first solve the problems in our own country. Well, that, that's a joke because we're not even doing that, so I don't know where that's coming from. We're not even solving the problems in our country. We have 44 million people here in this country in poverty. We're not doing a great job helping our situation. So I don't know where this ridiculous comment came from. It didn't come from him, of course, but it came from someone else. 
yet half of humanity barely survives on $2 per day, and they don't live here. <laughs> That's a good point. We live in a generous country, a generous country, where last year more than $300 billion was given to charity from voluntary donations. But see, $300 billion, but has it solved the problem? Where is this money going to, and how is it being used? As grand as that is, less than 5% goes to international work, leaving 95% in our own country for our churches, university endowments, and symphonies. These are worthy calls, but charities that serve the wealthiest nation, I don't think that's what Jesus meant when in Matthew 25 he told his followers to serve the least of these. He's right. Myth 4, Jesus said we will always have extreme poverty, and this is one that a lot of people use to justify them not helping anyone. And it's just ridiculous. But um, what Jesus said in, in Mark 14, verse 7, was the poor will always, the poor you will always have with you. And I addressed this earlier. I'll do it again. It says Jesus recognized that some will always have less than others. But the kind of abject poverty that over one billion people endure, those living on one dollar per day, wouldn't be tolerated by Jesus and should not exist today. I honestly believe we can eradicate extreme poverty, and if we can, then we must. I agree. We can. We can do it. We have to obey God and follow one of the greatest laws of God, which is to help people that are, that are afflicted. Myth 5. Jesus was concerned primarily about spiritual poverty. That's a bunch of bull garbage. <laughs> okay. I grew up in South America surrounded by missionaries. There was a subtle message that extremity or externity, I'm sorry, there was a subtle message that eternity is not longer than life. There was a subtle message, rather, that eternity is a lot longer than life. If someone is saved and bound for heaven, it doesn't much matter how hungry their children are. But when Jesus began his public ministry, he read his mission statement. And this is his mission statement in Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor, to set, the, to set free the oppressed. Oppressed means that you um, don't have the opportunities to better yourself. And it's taken away from you consistently. A lot of people in the world, not only in this country, but around the world, are oppressed. Though we must read on to understand the full gospel, if we seek to follow his example and teaching, we must bring, which is having belief, true trust in God, we must bring good news to the poor and set free the oppressed. More than 2,000 verses in the Bible deal with the poor. Jesus has special solidarity with the poor and told us that if we love him, if we love him, if we believe him, if we trust him, we will show it by caring for them. And that's true, ladies and gentlemen. That, again, is the definition of true worship. It has hardly anything to do with trying to figure out Daniel 9, verse 27, or prophecy. And people just don't get it. They just don't get it, what the process of repentance is all about. This is the message that your canon, the immerser, or John the Baptist preached. Let's turn to uh, James. Not not James, but John. Luke, rather. I'm sorry. <laughs> Luke. Let's turn to Luke. Chapter 3. And let's look at the story of John the Baptist. I'm going to read this in, a, uh, in the 1965 Bible and Basic English Version. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, let's, let's look at the context of this here. Now in the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being ruler of Judea, which is the West Bank today, and Herod being king of Galilee, his brother Philip king of the country of Ituria, and Trachonitus, and Lysanias king of Abilene, or Abilene, in verse 2, when Annas and Capias were high priests, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wasteland. Verse 3 of Luke chapter 3. And he came in, into all the country around about Jordan, preaching baptism or immersion as a sign of forgiveness of sin for those whose hearts were changed. So your mind, we have to all have a mind change here. Because the Bible states that in Revelation 12 verse 9, the whole world has been deceived. And Jeremiah 16 verse 19 to 21 states that we have all inherited lies or untruthness from our fathers. Uh, our fathers probably 
a significant amount of them purposely did not teach us incorrectly. It's just that they learned also false teachings and, and false ways to live from their fathers. And it all really goes back to Adam and Eve. But anyway, and in verse 3, uh, John the Baptist, and he came into all the country round about Jordan, preaching immersion as a sign of forgiveness of sin for those who hearts were changed or wanted to repent. Verse 4, as it says in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wasteland, make ready the way of the Lord, make his road straight. Verse 5, every valley will be lifted and all the mountains and hills made low. That hasn't happened yet. That's going to be a prophecy for the future. And the twisted will be made straight and the rough ways smooth. Verse 6, and all flesh, and that hasn't happened yet for sure, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Verse 7, so he said to the, the people who went out to him for immersion, you offspring of snakes, at whose word are you going in flight from the wrath to come? Verse 8, make clear by your acts. Oh, here we go again. What's true worship? What is religion? It involves action, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 8 of Luke chapter 3. Make clear by your acts that your hearts have been changed. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to make children of Abraham. Verse 9. And even now the axe is put to the root of the trees, and every tree which does not have good fruit, and of course the fruit in this context is talking about your axe, will be cut down and put into the fire. The tree in this context is a human being, of course. Verse 10. And the people put question to him, saying, What have we to do? What have we to do? Or what must we do? And verse 11. And he made answer to them and said to them, Here we go again. This is what James 1 verse 27 was referring to here. It was referring to helping out people who need help and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. But the first thing that was stated in James 1 verse 27, and the first thing that was stated here in Luke 3 verse 11, this is the answer to how do you repent. And he made answer and said to them, He who has two coats, let him give to him who has not even one. And he who has food, let him do the same. So again, God is addressing the issue of social conditions, socioeconomic conditions, okay? And he's stating that if you know of somebody, anyone, that doesn't have any clothes or food, and you have food and clothes to give them, because God says you should not be content if you don't have any food and clothes. So if you don't have any food and clothes to sustain yourself, then you need help, and someone who does have food and clothes should help you. That is what pure or true religion or true worship is all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about action. And we've missed that in our so-called Christian churches today, many of them. We miss what that message is all about. And then verse uh, 12, it says, Then tax farmers came to him for, for immersion and said to him, Master, what have we to do, or tax collectors? Verse 13, he said to them, Do not make an attempt to get more money than the right amount. And unfortunately, our government taxes, oh man, they tax us too much. And they are guilty of this. And many other governments are guilty of this, uh, overtaxing the people. But there's a prophecy in First Samuel chapter 8 that prophesied that we would get to that point of, um, I think I'll go over that some, some other day, but, but it's a prophecy that is even true today that if we pursued another king other than God, that that king would tax us to death. And that's, that's prevalent in almost every country in the world right now. And then verse 13 of Luke chapter 3, and he said to them, Do not make an attempt to get more money than the right amount. Verse 14. And that's what our credit card companies do. They charge interest, which they shouldn't be doing, and they and require more money than what they should get. They oppress. And in, in Luke 3, verse 14, And men of the army put questions to him, saying, And what have we to do? And he said to them, Do no violent act to any man, and do not take anything without right and let your payment be enough for you. So, of course, when you're in the military, you have to do violence. He's talking about unwarranted or uh, acts that that you're doing and you don't have to do. And that does happen in the military. You hear, hear of times where uh, 
certain people in the military are abused, and you also hear of people uh, doing too much violence or committing violence too much to an enemy. So this this is this is what true worship is all about, ladies and gentlemen. This is what true worship is all about. And you you have to really understand that if you want to understand the Bible. Because God is not going to give you, he's not going to give you the ability to understand the Bible if you don't understand these things. If you don't understand these things. Uh, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. It states... Um, In verse 22, how long, you simple ones? Simple means naive. Will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. So we, we can't be that type of individual where we just believe everything that someone tells us. We, we, we need to have a, a very intelligent uh, mindset and not believe everything someone is telling you. Because if you do that, then you could be deceived. And that's what Jeremiah chapter 17 is all about, if you study that. But uh, simple one means to be foolish. And then simplicity, the original Hebrew, uh, means foolish, to be foolish. And it states that fools hate knowledge. And no one knows everything other than God the Father and, and Yeshua. Well, there's one thing that Yeshua doesn't know. He doesn't know when exactly he's coming back. Other than that, he pretty much knows everything, too, because his father taught him. But in Proverbs 1, verse 23, it says, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So if you if you don't acknowledge his correction, and this could be a correction Bible study to those of you listening to me today who aren't thinking about the poor, aren't doing what you should do to, to help the poor, um, verse 24 says, Because I have called and you refuse, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you set at naught all my counsel and with none of my reproof. says, I also will laugh at your calamity. When you have problems, you're going to laugh at it. I will mock when your fear comes, when your fear comes as a desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, a hurricane, when distress, or distress rather, and anguish come upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. What's fearing God? Fearing God is hating evil. It's in Proverbs 8, verse 13. Verse 30, they would none of my counsel. They despise all my correction. Verse 31, therefore shall they eat of their fruit of their own way, which fruit, it proves that fruit means actions, and be filled with their own devices. In, in, in certain contexts it means actions. In this and the other, it does mean actions. Verse 32, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. And he's talking about prosperity, abundance. So being rich, does that mean you got it made? Verse 33, but whosoever hearketh unto me, whoever obeys him and keep his word shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. And that's the key, ladies and gentlemen. If you're looking for a place of safety, and that word quiet in original Hebrew means peaceful, be at ease from the fear of evil. And so obeying God's words, you will dwell safely, he states. And you should be peaceful from the fear of evil. Trying to figure out Daniel 9, verse 27, and, and, and etc. Or I'm just giving an example, Daniel 9, verse 27, any of the prophetic books. is not going to guarantee you a place of safety as if you obeyed God and paid attention to his words about how to act. And that is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So let's understand that. Uh, for you to understand the Bible, you have to, to care about people. That's what Christian living is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Let's turn to the remaining time I have here, Second uh, Corinthians 9, verse 13.
2 Corinthians 9, verse 13. I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13. In this context, he's talking about giving to the poor again. In, verse, uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9, it says, As a Tanakh, the Tanakh is another word for the Old Testament. He says, He gave generously to the poor. His tzedakah means righteous works last forever. And in verse 10, He who provides both seed for the planter and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your zedakah. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in everything. So that's important to understand that, what that's talking about there. So, yeah, zedakah means righteousness. It also means charity, zedakah, okay? And verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in everything. And through us, your generosity will cause people to thank God. Verse 12, because rendering this holy service not only provides for the needs of God's people, but it also overflows in the many things people will be giving to God. And verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in offering this service, you prove to these people that you glorify God by actually doing what your acknowledgement of the good news of the Messiah requires, namely sharing generously with them and with everyone. That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about sharing and caring. It's not about all about yourself and what you want to do. Okay? And then Ephesians, let's understand why we work. Ephesians 4, verse 28. The thief must stop stealing. Instead, he should make an honest living by his own efforts. This way he will be able to share with those in need. That's what life's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Starting in verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands of mine, and this is Paul talking here, and I can say the same thing, uh, have provided not only for my own needs, but for the needs of my co-workers as well. Verse 35, and everything I have given you an example of how, by working hard like this, you must help the weak. We must help the weak. If we call ourselves believers of God, we must help the weak when we have the opportunity and when we can. Remembering the words of the Lord Yeshua, or Jesus himself, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. If you're sad and moping about always me, start thinking about other people. Start thinking about serving people, and I guarantee you, you will start to be happy thinking of solutions on how to help other people. It's just a natural built-in law that God has put in each and every one of us. And to trigger that, to trigger happiness and pure joy, is to start thinking about people thinking of ways to help. Get your mind off people. Get in. There's plenty of organizations in your community. There's plenty of poor people that you can help out in your community. There's not enough people that actually volunteer to help in the community. Do that if you have the time. I understand if you don't have the time, help out in other ways. Pray for people. What's stopping you from uh, researching the Internet and finding out where, where the poor people are in the world and pray for those people every day? What's stopping you from doing that? The Bible says a righteous prayer the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, or a woman availeth much. What's the excuse for that? Um, for many of you, you 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 may be working and you have consistent income. What's the excuse of not giving nine dollars a month to help a starving child? Just type in feed feed the children. I mean, nine dollars a month—that's what I do. What is that? That's not a lot of money. Many of you can give more than that. I know you can. So. We've got to start caring about people. And that is the problem in the world today. Not enough people care about one another. And that's the reason why God inspired James to prophesy. And I mean, I'm going to go over this here, what's going on right now in our country. Now, keep in mind, the book of James is written to the tribes of Israel. And James chapter 1 says from... from um, Read this in the King James Version here. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So the twelve tribes were scattered abroad back then, which includes, of course, uh, the tribe of Judah. And you need to go to www.britam.org to find out and understand that the twelve tribes of Israel 
the United States and Britain and, and Canada consists of the 12 tribes of Israel along with the Jewish people, the little nation of Israel, uh, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, uh, and then the countries of Northwestern Europe. And, of course, if anyone that believes in Yeshua Messiah is also considered among the commonwealth of Israel, as Ephesians chapter 2 reveals. But anyway, this book is addressed to believers and also ge those geographical areas today, prophetically. Now, if you turn to James chapter 5, and I'm going to read this in complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake. James 5 verse 1 states this. Next, a word for the rich. Now, we know that the United States is the richest country in the world. So this is... <laughs> This is definitely a message for the rich folks in this country. Verse 1. Next, a word for the rich. Weep and wail over the hard hardships that are coming upon you, which actually began uh, when the terrorist attacks happened in 2001, but has accelerated here lately with the stock market crash of 777, uh, September 2008. Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your clothes have become moth-eaten. That hasn't happened yet, but the riches are starting to become rotten. Verse 3, your gold and silver have corroded, or the money, and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. This is the last times, or the acrimen, accurate hayaman, and you have been storing up wealth. Now, what does uh, accurate hayaman mean? Well, I'm looking this word up here, and it means uh, the time before the coming of the Messiah. That's what it means, and that and, and the um, in the King James version it means the last days, and in the King James version it says shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. And these are the days we're living in today. And we have. The rich have heaped up. We have most the most billionaires ever in the history of the world, in the modern world, in this country. And, and James 5, verse 4, in the King James Version, Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Let me read this in the... Uh, Yep. And then in verse 5, it says, The wages you have fraudulently withheld from the workers who mold your fields are calling out against you, and the outcries of those who harvest it have reached the ears of God, of the Lord of the armies. So this, this is happening as I'm speaking, ladies and gentlemen. We are suffering uh, financially here, and it states here in verse 5, You have led a life of luxury and self-indulgence here on earth in a time of slaughter. You have gone on eating to your heart's content. You have condemned, you have murdered the innocent. They have not withstood you. So, brothers, be patient until the Lord returns. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He is patient over it until it receives the fall and spring rains. You, too, be patient. Keep up your courage, for the Lord's return is near. So he's telling you with all this oppression and so forth that his coming is near, ladies and gentlemen. That is the sign that we need to be looking at. The other poverty of this world God has stated that he will rise when when all this stuff happens. And he will rise and he will take care of the poor. Because he 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 does not he does not take pleasure in that. In verse in Psalm 12 verse 5 which is a prophecy. It states here in King in the King James version. For the oppression of the poor for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety, those that puff at him. So that is a, a, a sign, a better sign to look at, that we are close to the end, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> than what other people have been preaching. So anyway, I hope you understand what true religion is, pure religion is. And I will speak to you next week. May God bless and keep you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. 
And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 